welcome to The Longest Day Podcast. I'm Leah, your host and the founder of Broadstairs Consulting. We are an advisory and mediation consultancy, bringing clarity, focus, and momentum to organizations by helping leaders find creative solutions that work. We help rebuild relationships and facilitate effective dialogue. We are convinced that people matter and that conversations count, so we started The Longest Day, a series of conversations where we learn from the resilience, determination, and candor of our guests. As they look back on their longest days, our hope is that it will empower you to look forward. We hope their stories will be a part of shaping yours. Today, we welcome Dr. Charlie Eastman, who specializes in travel medicine, mental and occupational health. Charlie trained at St. George's Hospital Medical School in South London and performed his medical elective period in Ghana, his country of birth. Since then, he has worked with a number of international medical organizations and charities, including Merlin, Rally International, and Save the Children in Rwanda, and Echo in Armenia, Georgia, and Azerbaijan. He has also worked internationally under the appointment of the Foreign Office with visits to the African, Asian, and Australian continents. He gave a TED Talk on global health in 2019. Charlie has been actively involved in a number of different types of medical aid emergencies, including medical evacuations and following these high-level international experiences. He has a deep interest in mental and occupational health in the corporate setting, and particularly within high-stress arenas. He now provides occupational health and mental health services to many of the top FTSE 100 companies based in the City of London, and has often been featured in the press, including Time Out magazine and on CNN Africa Voices. Charlie, welcome to The Longest Day. Thank you. Perhaps you might like to tell our listeners about your longest day. Yeah, um, my longest day was when I finally realized that a business that I built up to a 1.5 million turnover had to fold and had to put it into liquidation. Um, So that was a very tough moment. Tell us about the business. Yeah, so basically, as a doctor, I have the privilege of... uh, traveling around the world. I've been to about 75 different countries. I've worked with the foreign office for two and a half years. I've worked in Rwanda, set up a refugee camp. And I realized there was a huge opportunity to create a a private business specializing in health screening and travel vaccinations for corporate clients. And along the way, um, various governments also said, we would like you to do medicals for people who want to emigrate to our country. So we ended up with uh, a relationship with the Australian government, the Canadian government, the New Zealand government, and uh, a lot of corporate clients, everyone from BP to Centrica to Rolls-Royce. And I had a whole team of doctors and administrators uh, managing um, what grew to be a turnover of uh, 1.5 million. So how did you go from a business that had been solicited by interested parties Mm -hmm. with extensive turnover Mm -hmm. and a great reputation Mm -hmm. to a situation where the business (laughs) was about to collapse. Yeah, I think there were several mistakes I made because, you know, the thing is... uh, very few people have training in business and books don't even train you in business. And the interesting thing is um, I was developing my business at the same time that Jeff Bezos was developing Amazon. And uh, at the time, uh, Bezos's mantra was that profitability didn't matter because what he was seeing was a, a greater arc. And unfortunately, um, I believe that uh, to be true at the time, whereas the sort of business I was developing really did need to focus on profitability. So 
I was just achieving these great turnovers, but as much was going out and and that never was going to work. It's a Mr. McCorber problem. Was there nothing along the, the decline that enabled you to course correct? Yeah, that's no, a really good question. So if you look at the decline, there are several things about uh, achieving good turnover. So with a good turnover of 1.5 million, you should make at least 10% profit, say 150k a year, you bank that, and then you're protected for the future. Um, one of the problems, I think, for a lot of businesses when you're growing is that you start to overtrade. And when you overtrade, it's um, you're really doing more business than is sensible for you to do, but it looks good to you because you're worried about the uh, the numbers of turnover. So what when you start to overtrade, what you do is you spend far too much on administration, far too much. And in my case, I also spent far too much on rent. Um, I could probably have bought a house or two with the amount of rent that I paid over the course of about 10 years in Harley Street. So if I had a really forward-thinking way of looking at that, I would have invested in a property at the beginning, not just focused on rent. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily spend as much money as I did on refurbishing something that I didn't own, but that was important to me to have the right image, the right furniture. So I overspent there. Uh, my admin team just grew too big for what was needed, and I didn't keep a check on that. Um, one particular superb example was in the last year, we had a lady working for us um, who always claimed that she was outrageously busy, outrageously busy. Anyway, as the downturn was coming, I had to let her go at very short notice, uh, such that I took over her phone and her email. And this person who'd been outrageously busy, <laughs> nothing came through. <laughs> who else did you have around you in the business at senior levels? Yeah, well, this is also quite interesting because my former father-in-law uh, realized that I was a bit naive in the world of business. And he actually uh, suggested I have a mentor. And I did have a mentor, a lovely man, who I paid uh, a regular amount to and I met on a regular basis. And so you'd think that with this senior mentor, uh, that would also have protected me from error. Uh, another point in the business, the business was attractive enough to actually attract investment from a PLC. So again, you would have thought those two factors would uh, prevent error. Um, the PLC appointed somebody to keep an eye on me. And very soon I realized that his main job was to say no. <laughs> <laughs> so every time I came up with a suggestion for how the business could grow, expand or whatever, this guy would mumble a bit and the the the, the computer output would be no. So to be honest, I lost respect for him because he didn't really have a range of ideas. His only idea was no. Uh, so that didn't work either. So I think the problem for any business, if you've got a a fairly maverick uh, person like myself who starts a business and grows a business, um, how do you get the more down-to-earth, sensible person involved? The other question I found with accounting is that most of us can only afford a certain level of accounting. And that level is not analytical. The level of accounting that we can afford is the sort of person who basically just does the numbers and the numbers show that you're heading for the hills, but doesn't warn you that you're heading for the hills. So I think any business, you want a forensic um, accountant, somebody who warns you early that the numbers aren't adding up in the right way, uh, that there are predictable problems ahead, and that you need to take uh, aversive uh, action. 
What did you learn about yourself as a leader in this situation? Yeah, it's interesting because I learned that um, I'm inspirational in some ways, but a complete idiot in others. And um, the complete idiot bit was really quite humbling. And so I had a meeting with a team who were really very angry and annoyed with me, and understandably so. Um, But I also learned that I had a great inner strength as a person, and I was able to deal with the critique in a constructive way. Uh, I was also able to uh, reduce the team in a way that made it work better for me. And subsequently, I learned that I want to be more in control of any business that I'm involved in, so I have more direct contact with the relevant inputs and outputs. What advice would you give to somebody who both has the entrepreneurial spirit and vision to set up a business, but is the core person responsible for delivering the service that business provides? Yes, I think, you know, you have to think about your growth curve. It's a really interesting thing that if you think about a business can't stagnate, it has to grow. And the question is, at what rate? And if you grow a business too slowly, that's close to stagnation, it will die. If you grow it too fast, then you have a problem of overtrading, you're not really creating a solid enough foundation. So you have to work out what's the appropriate growth rate for the vision that you have. The second thing you have to do is you have to be good at delegating and you have to find the right people. Uh, A lot of people say hire for attitude rather than CV or skills. So if you've got the right people on your team, um, you can achieve amazing things. And I think, you know, these principles of servant leadership where you have appropriate humility such that staff can tell you what's not working and you're not angry about it, but you're actually engaging with them are also important. Are you feeling stuck? Has conflict got you down? Have you considered mediation? Mediation is a confidential and flexible way to resolve conflicts. 86% of all mediations end in a solution, saving time, money, and stress for all involved. Thanet Mediation Center, a Broadstairs consulting initiative, offers mediation services to individuals and organizations in Thanet, Kent, and further afield. For more information or advice, email us at info at broadstairsconsulting.com. We are here to help you move forwards. When in your career, because most people know you as being a doctor, did you decide to press into this business journey? Yeah, okay. So um, as a doctor who trained in England and qualified from St. George's, Um, I realized quite early on that the existing system was not in my favor. There was quite a lot of uh, racism still within the NHS. And I realized that um, one thing I could do was get my own qualifications. So I would always have uh, more letters after my name than before my name. So I studied uh, a master's in public health, a diploma in tropical medicine, a diploma in occupational medicine, and uh, I'm a member of the Royal College of Physicians. But that was very intentional. So I knew that I had this armory of tools that I could then deploy in the world that I wanted to be in. The second thing is I realized, well, 
no one's going to give me the job I want. It's my job to create the job I want. And I think the best way I can do that is by setting up my own business. How did you choose the people that ended up working for you in this business venture? Yeah, that's that's also a good question. So I think the administrative side was a lot of trial and error. And I think that um, human resource skills are important, but I certainly didn't have them at the beginning. So I had some people who were just not right. Uh, I had a relative who I employed. That was a big mistake because he sort of poisoned <laughs> a lot of the other people. And uh, there were there were good reasons he didn't have a job before I took him on. So that wasn't a, a great idea. Um, in terms of my medical side, they were generally good. So my medics were good. Um, we only had one interesting problem, actually. We had a lovely old older doctor who... Uh, people came to complain to me that uh, the moment he lifted up his arms, um, you know, all the birds in the local area would have fallen down dead. Now, how do you tell a mature elderly man that he's got BO uh, in uh, the summer and, you know, you've got relatively small clinic rooms? So that was a, that was a difficult uh, conversation, but obviously it had to be done. Which of the skills of your professional career enabled you to weather the failure? That's a great question. I think uh, going to boarding school from the age of seven. um, So I was a boarder from seven to 17. So I coped with a lot. uh, Just there at some schools, I was the only black kid among 300. Um, So I think the armory of defense was really there. And yeah, you could throw me under a bus, but I'd survive. You could stick me in a desert and I'd survive. So yeah, I know I have those basic skills of survival. And how would you encourage those in our future leaders who don't have that baptism by fire opportunity that you and I both had at boarding school? Yeah, I think the um, I think the people skills area is so important, and I think that it's a really good question. How can you help people get there that they are good with the people that they have? They realize quite early on who isn't right for them and they get rid of those people early because some of those people are poisonous. And one of my favorite phrases is, um, we're going to let you go and we're going to let you bloom elsewhere. And it's a polite way of saying you're not right for this soil. And I think that learning that very early on is incredibly important um, because if you've got the wrong people, they do poison the atmosphere, they do poison the venture, and you can't progress in the right way. Tell us a little bit about what you decided to do after this business. That's a really good question. So then I was stuck with a decision, right? So I've now, I've recently got divorced. Uh, my business has gone down the tank hole. I've got virtually no money at all. And it's, uh, and you soon know who your friends are and who aren't. So I had a decision to make. Do I go back to the NHS, which I decided not to be part of because of uh, my previous perceptions of racism, or do I try again? Now, I made a decision that I would start a new business, but just keep it very simple. And in June of next year, that would be the end of that. So that would be an 11 or 12-year experience, uh, which has been okay. It hasn't been fabulous, but it's been okay, and it's kept me going. What's next? Oh, what's next is hugely exciting. So... Um, 
I'm really keen to get into the world of coaching. Um, and I think I've got a lot of skills that I can bring to people. Um, I'm probably quite keen to work with headmasters in schools because I think they're a very lonely bunch of people with very difficult decisions to make. I think I can add value in that space. Um, I get to talk quite a lot. I've done a TEDx talk, as you probably know. And I get to talk in schools on everything from mental health to the history of prejudice to pornography. I'd like to expand that into the uh, corporate world. And uh, yeah, and then I'm working on a couple of businesses related to medical cannabis and also addiction services. So not taking retirement lightly then, are we? Oh, it's not retirement. It's it's uh, it's escaping from clinical responsibility in the sense of running a clinic and all the you know all the burden that comes with that. It's the fact that I can act as a freelance agent, and uh, you know you can tell me to pack my bags, fly to wherever you want, and I'll do what needs to be done. To pick up on one more theme of what you've said, how do we encourage the ethnic minority who is trying to rise through the ranks? in the health system mm. or in education or in politics or in the corporate sector yep. to stand above other people's perceptions of them and to reach the fullness of their potential? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think they, they all need some sort of coach or mentor um, because it's a difficult journey. There are a lot of people who don't want them to be where they elevate to be. And also sometimes it's very lonely to be where they elevate to be. And also there are a lot of perceptions about how the hell did you get here and why you don't even deserve to be here. And then sometimes they end up with an imposter syndrome type uh, problem. So I think those who've already had the battle scars uh, need to be there to support them, to help them with the difficult areas and advise them on how to deal with some of the predictable challenges that they will face. Now, if you had to do your longest day again, and I imagine that would be the conversations sure. <laughs> with the people who were financing your business, mm. what food would you choose to fuel them? <laughs> Isn't that a wonderful question? Food. You know, I, I, it's going to sound crazy, but the first thing that comes into my head is uh, caviar and blinis. Caviar and blinis. Yeah. We haven't had that one yet on the longest day, you but <laughs> that is wonderful. And I should have guessed a glass of champagne in hand, I hope. Of course. Well, thank you so much, Charlie, for sharing your experiences with us. I'm sure these will be very helpful, uh, particularly for the next generation. But I wish you all the success on your future endeavors. Thank you very much. You've been listening to a Broadstairs Consulting Limited podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Tune in soon to hear the next installment of The Longest Day. Copyright 2023. Production copyright. Broadstairs Consulting Limited. All rights reserved. <laughs>